Well, good morning. We are in part three of our Partners in Joy series, which we're walking through the book of Philippians. We're, we're taking a journey through this. This is Paul's most intimate letter. He wrote to the church in Philippi. And I say it's his most intimate. It has a more friendly tone. It's, it's really about joy and his joy in what they are doing in Philippi. Now, Paul's in prison. And I know what you may be thinking, and if you haven't heard the, the last two messages, if he's in prison, why does he have so much joy? Because God's doing great things in him and through him. And even though he is in prison, the gospel is being spread. Sometimes it's being spread because he's in prison, which he rejoices in that. He rejoices in those, even those that are preaching the gospel to make things harder on him. As long as the gospel's going out, Paul is full of joy. He loves the Philippian church. He calls them his partners in ministry or partners in the gospel. The gospel is just basically the story or the good news of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so the overall tone of this letter is joy. Now, I had mentioned that Paul was in prison again. Uh, just to bring it into context, in the Roman culture, you didn't go to prison as punishment. You went in prison to wait. Either wait for your trial or to wait to be executed. Uh, not a happy place to be. It was not kind circumstances. Many times when Paul wrote letters from prison, he talked about being in chains for Christ. So today we're going to dig into chapter 2 and we're going to see what Paul is speaking to us about. And this is probably as close to a warning as Paul gives any of us in this book. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it says, If there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together in one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Paul loves to use rhetorical expression when he writes. He's not questioning whether the Philippian church um, has these characteristics. When you saw at the beginning, you know, he's like, is there any encouragement from being in Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He knows that they are. It's kind of rhetorical. Paul, I, that's what I love about Paul's writing. He, he loves to use the rhetorical. He also <laughs> loves to use sarcasm which is kind of fun at times, which is, is where I, I get my sarcasm from. Well, maybe not. All right. He's not questioning the, Philipp uh, the Philippians' church and their characteristics. He's saying that because of these characteristics, the church needs to be unified. Look, you're doing all of these other things. You have joy in Christ. You have all these other things going on. Please make sure that you're unified 
in Him. And so I entitled this message, and even the first point today, Unity in the Community, just because it flowed so well. Unity in the community. It's cheesy. Get it on a get it on a t-shirt. Um, you know, maybe get it tattooed somewhere, just so you can remember Philippians 2, unity in the community. Now, because of the power of the Spirit in their lives and because of their love of Christ, Paul has reminded them that they're unified on a mission. This goes all the way back to our our study in the book of Acts, that God didn't call us to start churches. He called us to be disciple makers. Each one of us, we're on a mission together to make disciples of everyone that we can. And that's why our church exists. We come together in unity and in love so that we can make disciples of others, so that we can take as many people as we can with us to heaven. That's our goal. We want to take as many people as we can. We want to fill the bus up and get there. So that's, he's reminding them, and he's also echoing the words of Jesus. I want you to flip over to John chapter 17. We're going to look at just verses 22 through 23, but you can read that whole chapter. It's called Jesus' prayer, and it's Jesus' prayer for us, the church, all believers. He even says those words, all believers that will ever believe in him, this prayer was for them. And in that prayer, in verses 22 through 23, it says, I have given them the glory you gave me. He's, he's praying. He's talking to God the Father. So they may be one as we are one. Did you get that? He and the Father are one. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three in one. He's saying that we need to have that same kind of unity in the body. He said, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Do you get all of that? There was a lot of, a lot of things happening there. But Jesus is saying, look, as believers, I'm in them. I love them. And because I'm connected to you, God, we are one. That love is flowing in them. And I long for them to be one so that if they are unified together, the enemy can't use that to, to push people away. It's going to draw people to them because people want to be accepted. People want to be loved and cared about. And if they don't see the believers loving each other, then why would they want to be a part of it? That's why it's so important that we're unified. That's why Paul emphasizes this. I don't know if anything was going on in the Philippian church that he was directly dealing with, but I think it was a common theme. If you look through the writings of Paul, he talks about unity in almost every single one of his letters. Because Paul knows we're human, we're all different, we're all wired different. And sometimes those differences can butt heads. I've said it many times. We don't have to like everybody. We just have to love them. And there are some people we just don't get along with. That we have a hard time liking in the same sense. But there is a love because we don't want anyone to perish. That love supersedes whether we like that person or not. Whether we get along with their personality or not. Some people are just more difficult than others. Some people fit better together with others. That's why groups of people hang out. 
because they, they, they have those shared experiences and those common things, it's good to stretch ourselves from time to time, but realize that we're all different, but we need to work together for that common mission to bring others to Christ. And when the world sees us fighting against each other, that pushes them away because they're like, man, I have enough fighting in my life right now. Why would I want to come to church and fight? That's not why I come. So the world is watching. They're waiting. They're looking to see if we're going to love them. I don't even have this in my notes. This happened just yesterday. I was on a a call with some leaders and a, a guy that's releasing a book here in September called Doubters Club. He's a pastor that God just gave him a heart for atheist. And he shared his story about how he was, God called him out of his comfortable position at a university down in Texas to go start a church in Denver, Colorado. But when he got there, he was in a coffee shop getting some coffee. He wasn't even sure where he was going to start church. wasn't even sure if this is what he was going to do. And he got to know the guy that was serving him coffee. For some reason, the Holy Spirit just struck up a conversation for him. And he found out, he, they were talking, and the guy said, yeah. He told the guy, yeah, I'm coming to, to start a church at some point. What, do you, you know, what, what would you be looking for in a church is what he asked him. And he goes, I want nothing to do with church. I'm an atheist. And I think he even told him that, yeah, if the church actually accepted and loved people, I probably maybe would go to that church. But they got talking, and God gave him the concept to start a doubters club. And they had five rules, and I I can't remember the rules. If I went back to my notes, I could. But basically, they started a doubters club with seven people that met for over a year. Actually, they still meet. Now there's doubters clubs all over. But the story of this was, the rules were, look, you respect everybody's opinion. You listen. There's no judgment. There's no agenda. It's just coming to have a conversation. And out of those conversations with atheists have come some great friendships. Some have even come to Christ because of the conversations. Not everyone. Some are still atheists. But it opens up the door to conversation. See, the church, especially people that say they want nothing to do with God or they don't believe in God, part of the reason is because what they see out of the religious community, and I'm going to say religious because those are the ones that are doing it to try and work their way into heaven, not because they have a relationship with God. But out of the religious community and out of churches, they've seen fighting. They've seen anger. They've seen judgment. They've not seen the love of Christ in many circles. Now, I know that's not flat across the board, And everybody seems to pull from the negative. That's what we do naturally. But on an intimate level, they're sitting down to have a conversation with people that disagree with them. And it's okay. I thought it was a cool concept I wanted to share. Part of it is because we need to have unity in our church. The the world is watching. And there's a lot of people like that coffee shop owner that says they want nothing to do with God partially because they've seen how Christians live and don't really want that because it doesn't look any different than what they live or how they live. The world is watching us. Unity is a common theme in Paul's writings. 
fighting with the church is one of the ways the enemy distracts and disrupts what's going on. The enemy loves to see us fight. He loves to see the church fight. So I want to give you a few keys to unity. Uh, Paul gives us some insights. I'm going to pull from some other scriptures, some other of Paul's writings. He wants to help us develop unity in our lives. So the first thing I'm going to look at is verses 3 and 4 where it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. This is about putting yourself in the right perspective. It isn't about putting yourself down. You are a child of God. You are called of God. This is about lifting others up. Think about it this way. If the church would focus on helping each other to succeed, helping each other to do the best that they can, that's how we show love to each other. That's how we encourage one another. Because when any of us succeed at what God's called us to do, the church wins, Christ wins. God wins in those things. The enemy distracts us and get us, gets us to try and tear each other down and tear each other apart to make ourselves look better. Because we're fighting against culture. We're fighting against our, our sinful nature. Our culture says, man, you've got to win. You've got to be number one. Whatever it takes. I've always said that's one of the things I love about extreme sports. They want to win. They really do. But one of the things about extreme sports, if one of their competitors does something absolutely amazing, everybody, including those in the competition, cheer and celebrate with them. It's amazing. I love watching crazy people do crazy things, on, especially on mountain bikes. And, it, it, and if you ever want to see something, I'm just going to throw it out there. If you want to see something absolutely crazy, watch uh, Red Bull Rampage. And you'll see people flying off cliffs, doing flips. When those guys go down the hill, they're competing against each other. There's money on the line. But when one of them crashes, everybody feels it. When one of them does something absolutely incredible, everybody there cheers. Because there's a respect. They want to elevate the sport that they're in together. Yeah, they want to win. They want to do their best. But they also want to see their fellow competitors succeed. They want to see them do well. And I think we need to have that same attitude. And Paul talks about having the attitude of Christ. And that's really what the, the whole second half of this passage that we pulled out is. Verses 5 through 11. It says, you must have the same attitude of Christ, that Christ had. Though he was God. Jesus was fully God and fully man. At the same time. It's hard for us to understand. But at the same time. Fully God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't hold on to that divinity at that moment because he made, instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he then humbled himself in obedience to God. Think about back to the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when right before Jesus was arrested and knew he was going to hang on the cross. He prayed, God, take this cup for me. He said, look, I don't want to endure this suffering. That fully human side of him was there. He knew what he had to suffer for us. But then he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's a pretty amazing statement. Because he said, okay, God, 
yeah, I gave up all of this, but it's for everyone else. It's not what I feel right now, because right now kind of kind of stinks. What's ahead, not real happy about, but I know where it's going. It's going to be the freedom of millions of people to have relationship with us. Think about that. Jesus could have just came in and wiped us all out. He could have done anything he wanted to. He's God. But he chose to love us enough to endure the cross, to go through death, and to be raised again so that we could have relationship with him. Every single one of us on this planet, no matter what we've done, he died so that we could have relationship with him. Pretty amazing. It's not because we're awesome in the sense of We've done all these great things. It's fully given by grace. Cool thing is he gave us the Holy Spirit and we do get to do some pretty awesome stuff because he loves us and he cares about us. So we each have a part in this and we need to help focus on each other. Romans 12 talks about this a lot. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I do want to read verses 3 and 5 of Romans 12. Or three through five, excuse me. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you or given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Paul uses the illustration of a body because every part of our body is not identical. They don't serve the same function. They don't look the same way, but they're all important things. They're all important parts of our body. And I remember talking, there was a a gentleman in the church I grew up in who had lost his big toe. And you think, ah, it's big toe. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice. But would it make that big of a difference? And he said, yeah, I almost fall over every time I walk upstairs. You don't think about how much you use your big toe until you need it. It's important. Now, can he function without it? Yes, he does. Does it slow him down? He's learned to adapt. But the truth is, we all have a part to play in God's, in God's church and his body. We're all important. And what others are doing, we need to celebrate that. We need to get behind them and encourage them. I think about the churches in our community. Part of the reason we pray for a different church every month is because we want to lift up the other churches. As the churches lift up, so do we. So does the body of Christ. It isn't a competition. Somewhere a few years ago, pastors read too many business books and we began to think that we were marketing against other churches. Which is not true at all. We're all here to serve and love this community. I pray with four different pastors. We come together. There's five of us that come together, all pastors in this area, a couple times a month because we believe in reaching this community. There's so many others. This isn't a competition. It's a, the only competition is, is taking people from the grasp of hell from the enemy. And we're all teammates. We're all working together. Our expressions may look different. 
the way we worship, how we teach, the way we get there may be different, but we're all on the same team. We are a body of believers. The Holy Spirit, we've been given the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and to join us together in, in unity. I want to read one last scripture from a letter in Paul, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. It's a pretty comprehensive statement. We've been given the Holy Spirit, all of us. When we believe in Jesus, He gave us the Spirit. The Spirit's what guides us, draws us, helps us. The Spirit would not cause us to fight against each other. The Spirit would not cause us to tear one another down. Actually, I love this. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We're human. We're going to miss it from time to time. We're human. Actually, falling flat on our face from time to time helps us to grow. None of us can be perfect all the time. I make mistakes often. But that love that we have for each other covers those faults. And we love each other enough to help each other grow so that we don't make those same mistakes again. So that we can move forward together. It is awesome to see what God does through a church that's unified together for that one purpose, that one mission. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to bring unity in our community. I know it's cheesy, but it's true. We need it. We need unity. We need to be moving in the same direction. And that direction is to be on mission for God, to be disciple makers, to draw people to Him, whatever that takes, whatever that looks like. It's not a competition. It's not about what church is better than another. I'm going to tell you, there's a bunch of churches that are a lot better than we are at a lot of things. Production and, and you know, speaking. Gosh, you, there's a million people. I could send you some podcasts that speak better than I do. If you just want a good message, I can give you a bunch of them. But being a part of our community, being a part of where God's called us, you have a place, you have a purpose. God's called us to reach this community. And we thank you for being a part of it. We want to see you succeed. We want to see you grow. We want to work together to see people's lives changed, for them to have a relationship with Jesus. So if you're struggling with 
maybe your own self-doubt. Maybe you're struggling with looking at other people and getting consumed with what others are doing. We want to just give that to God today as best we can and ask Him to help us in that. Help Him, help him to ask us to be more concerned about lifting others up than we are about making ourselves look better. See, I found that when I focus on helping others, I become who God wants me to be. The gifts that I have shine in those moments. And I believe that's what God wants to do in us. So let's pray together today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in and through us. Lord, I pray that you would take out pride and arrogance and and even that self-doubt that we have. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to operate in humility, that we would keep ourselves in the right perspective, that we would have your attitude, Jesus. That we would do whatever it takes for somebody to come to know you, to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless each one that's listening today, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, encourage them and love them today. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. We love you. Thank you. Again, if you need prayer today, please click over here um, on the right side of the screen and just click prayer and somebody will pray with you. It might be on the bottom of your screen. We love you and are thankful that you're here. Have a great week.